Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Then we're going to get to Psalm chapter 1. But we're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 30 first. We've had a lot of heavy topics over the past few weeks in 1 Timothy. And I thought since this is a holiday weekend and it's kind of the end of spring moving into summer and people are planting your gardens and things are starting to change with the trees budding and things getting green. I thought it would be good just for today to look at Psalm 1. And as we look at Psalm 1, we'll understand what it means to thrive or to grow as a believer in Christ. We love stories with a fork in the road where the main character has to make a very difficult choice. Now, all of you know that I'm a Star Wars fan, and you see this poignantly in Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. You've got Anakin Skywalker, who's being pulled to the dark side. Is he going to follow his mentor, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and go on the right path to the good side of the Force? Or is he going to succumb to Emperor Palpatine's seductions and move to the dark side of the force and you know the story i'm not giving it away he turns into darth vader and goes down the dark side he took the wrong path and you know there is a metaphor in the star wars movies of life taking the wrong path and there's a great theologian that all of you know his name's mr miyagi from karate kid and Mr. Miyagi gave this great advice to Danielson. Remember what he said? He said, you walk on this side of road, good. You walk on this side of road, good. You walk in middle, you get squished like bug. The idea of having two paths or two roads is captured in probably the 20th century's greatest American poet, Robert Frost, and you probably heard his poem, The Road Not Taken. He writes this, Two roads diverged in the wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Two paths, two roads, two ways. Jesus actually tells us about these two roads in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So let's just ask the question this morning. What road are you walking on? What's your path? What path are you on? And so as we look at Psalm chapter 1, which is the definitive psalm that basically sets the foundation for all the psalms, it lays before us two ways to live, two paths, two directions. And so as we look at this psalm this morning, and like I said, it's kind of good just to kind of 
take a break from all the heavy stuff we were looking at in 1 Timothy and just kind of just soak in the, in the psalm this morning, Psalm chapter 1. But what I want us to do is the psalms were the, the song book, the worship book for the nation of Israel. And you kind of need to understand how the original audience would have understood Psalm 1 when they first heard it. Because Psalm 1 is all about blessings and curses. And this goes back to the nation of Israel and what Moses had warned them before they're going into the promised land. At the very end of Deuteronomy chapter Uh, At the end of of Deuteronomy, in chapter 30, Moses gives us these words. So if you've got Deuteronomy, chapter 30 open, let's read verses 15 through 20. And this sets the stage for the psalm because there's two ways to live. There's two paths. And this is the instructions that, that Moses, through the Lord, gives to the nation of Israel. So Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord God, by walking in His ways, and by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but you are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice, and holding fast to Him, for He is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. I set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now, with that, As the background, I will ask you now to turn to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. And the question we ask when we get to this psalm is this. What does a truly blessed person look like? What does it mean to be blessed? If you're blessed, what do you do? How do you act? What does it mean to be blessed according to this psalm? And we need to understand something. We aren't blessed because we earn it. We aren't blessed because we can somehow work for the blessing. Being blessed always comes as a result of our salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Being blessed characterizes a person who has Christ as their Savior. And so the book of Ephesians, Paul starts out that wonderful book of Ephesians. In Ephesians 1 verse 3, blessed. Be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So as one who's been transformed by sovereign grace, as one whom God has chosen you, Jesus has died for you, the Holy Spirit has come and lived in you, you are truly a blessed person. You are spiritually blessed. But then this psalm tells us really what it looks like, how it fleshes itself out. 
And so as we read this psalm together, here's the main point. The truly blessed person walks in God's ways and delights in God's word. You walk in God's ways and you delight in God's word. So let's read this very familiar psalm together. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. It's interesting, that very first word in the Hebrew text, blessed is the man, it's in plural form. You can really translate it this way. Blessing upon blessing or multiple blessings to you. So, so this psalm is talking about what it means to be a blessed person. Blessing upon blessings. And so what we see here is a contrast between two ways, two paths. Two different types of people. The blessed person, the wicked person. The righteous, the wicked. And so we're going to see this unfold in three major images. This contrast in three major images. So here's the first. It's in verses 1 and 2. We see the foundation. The foundation of the blessed person versus the wicked person. What's the foundation of these two types of people? Now, why do I use foundation? Because from the very beginning here, the psalmist shows us the foundation, the framework, what it really means to be blessed, and what does it mean to be not blessed or be cursed or be one of the wicked. And so he starts, surprisingly, with the foundation of the wicked. And I want you to notice the downward progression that he uses here. The blessed man is not these things. He doesn't have the same foundation as the blessed person, the wicked person. And so I want you to notice the, the progression here. Blessed is the man who walks not, so doesn't do these things. Walks not in the counsel of the wicked. I'll say The first involves walking. You're kind of moving in the direction toward the wicked. You're walking that way. Blessed is the one who does not walk. But then notice the next verb that's used. Nor stands. Okay, you're, you've moved from walking. Now you're kind of standing. You're hanging around. You're moved from walking to standing. And then what's the last? nor sits in the seat of scoffers. You see the progression? You were moving in the direction you were walking, and then you stopped and hung around the wicked, and then finally you sit down because you're comfortable. You're settled. It's your lifestyle. You've become a scoffer. Notice what it says there. Nor sits in the seat of 
scoffers. Now, what's a scoffer? What does it mean to scoff? It really means to have a seething hatred toward God, to hate Jesus and the gospel. So the wicked person is moving on this downward trajectory. They're walking towards wickedness. Then they stand near wickedness, and then they sit down, and they're comfortable in wickedness, so much to the point where they hate God. They are a scoffer. They are scorning. They're they're settled in their rebellion. They won't budge. They're seated. They're not going to get up from that chair of wickedness. Psalm 26, 4 and 5 says, I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. Are you sitting with the wicked? Are you settled? Are you seated there? Are you a scoffer? Proverbs 14, 6-7 says this, A scoffer seeks wisdom in vain, but knowledge is easy for a man of understanding. Leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. So the contrast here is the wicked person has gotten so settled in their wickedness that they're seated there, they're rebellious, they hate God, they're scorning the living God. That's not the blessed person, that's the wicked person. So what's the contrast? Well, what does the blessed person look like? Well, notice what verse 2 says, but in contrast to the wicked person, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, the law of the Lord there can mean the Ten Commandments. But more broadly in the Psalms, the law of the Lord just merely means His Word. God's Word. You delight in God's Word. You long for God's Word. You want to deeply get connected to God's Word. You want the Word of God to, as Paul would say, dwell in you richly. He says this in Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Now, do you find it a little strange that the psalmist says, I delight in your law. I delight in your law. That's not the kind of wording we use for God's law, do we? It's not like you're driving down I-76 and you see a speed limit sign there that says 75 miles an hour and you look at that speed limit and you're like, oh, I delight in that speed limit. I delight in that law. Most of us are like what? If you're like me, you're like, uh, let's kind of go a little over because i got to get to Denver or whatever. You don't delight in God's law. So it's a very weird concept to think about delighting in God's law. Normally, we don't use that type of language. Even C.S. Lewis had the same issue in his reflection on the Psalms. C.S. Lewis thought it was, it was mysterious and bewildering how the psalmist would delight in God's law. So here's the point. You cannot delight 
or love or long for God's law unless there's been a change in your heart by the Holy Spirit that's made you a new creation in Christ. You see, once you've been saved by grace, once the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you, He gives you that renewed desire to want to long for and obey and read God's Word. You have an appetite now for God's Word, and you delight in it. This was promised back in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36, 26-27. This is God speaking. I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I'll remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And and so that's this heart transplant, but notice what it results in. Verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. As a Christian, how do you approach God's word? Do you approach God's word as this is what I have to do? Or do you approach God's word, wow, this is what I get to do? What's your attitude towards God's word? Do you delight in it? Is it a drudgery that you have to do because somehow you're earning brownie points with God or he's going to be displeased with you or it's just kind of a a, a rote drudgery that you have to do? Or do you approach God's word like, this is God's love letter to me. This is God's standard. It's his breathed out word of God and I long for it. I love it. I want to read it. It's changing my life. Not only do you delight in God's word, but notice what the psalmist says there. He meditates on it day and night now biblical meditation is not the same thing as eastern mysticism it's not where you sit in a dark room and go home and just kind of clear your mind that's not what he's talking about here the bible does talk about meditating on god's word joshua 1 8 the book of this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night there's the same language so that you may be careful to do according to all this written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and you'll have good success. Now, what does it mean to meditate? It's very interesting. That, that Hebrew word meditate means to groan or to cry out. You see, silent reading is a pretty modern convention. In the ancient days, they would read out loud. And the reason they would read out loud is because they could vocalize, they could feel it, they could hear it, they they could sense what they were reading. And so to to meditate really means to, to say God's word out loud passionately so that you can hear it sink back into your ears and sink back into your heart. It's it's meditating, it's it's marinating. Now, as farmers and ranchers, what would you rather have this summer? A hailstorm, thunderstorm that comes and destroys your crop and just washes away after a few hours? Or a long, steady, dripping type of rain that sinks into the ground? It saturates the ground. It marinates into the ground. It's kind of like cooking fajitas. I like fajitas. And what do you do with the chicken or the beef? You let it marinate you let it you let the spices get in there okay so when you meditate on god's word you're letting god's word get into you you're taking it in you're you're longing for it you're reading it you're studying it you're 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 letting it wash over you and sink into your soul you're pondering it you're thinking about it william Plummer, he's a great scottish theologian 
that wrote a book on the Psalms. He says this, Without meditation, grace never thrives, prayer is weak, praise dull, and service to God unprofitable. He says this, It is easier to take a journey of a thousand miles than to spend an hour in intense reflection on the things of God. So the foundation for the truly blessed person. What's your foundation? Your foundation is you delight in God's word. You meditate on God's word. God's word is your anchor, and you long for that. You don't sit with the scoffers, but you have this foundation of God's word marinating in your heart. Okay, so let's ask the second question, or the second imagery here. And we see this in verses 3 and 4. What's the fruit We've seen the foundation. The foundation is the Word of God. Well, what's the fruit of the blessed person? What's the lifestyle? What does it produce? What's, what fruit does it produce? Well, notice what it says there. Look at the fruitfulness of the person who is the blessed person. Verse 3, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and in its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. What's the fruit of being the blessed person, of having the foundation of God, God's Word? You're prosperous. You're fruitful. Now, it's very interesting there. The word streams, he's like a tree planted by streams. You know this. It means a man-made irrigation ditch. We understand that here in northeastern Colorado with dry land farming, that you need irrigation ditches all over the place. In places like northeastern Colorado, it's imperative that the crops get the moisture. And so we need streams, and we need irrigation ditches, and we need places to where they can take down roots and, and that, that water can get into the soil. Because if not, you're not going to have good crops. So the imagery here is if, you, if your foundation is on God's Word and you meditate on it and you long for it and God's Word takes root in your life, you're like a tree that's planted next to a stream. You're fruitful. You're growing. You're thriving. Jeremiah uses the same language in Jeremiah 17, 5-8. Thus says the Lord, cursed, there's that cursed and blessing language, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord, is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in a parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. This whole idea of being planted in this flowing water, these water streams, that you're yielding fruit Psalm 34, 8-9. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. So what do we receive as the fruit of being planted in God's Word? Notice at the end there of verse 3 it says, And all He does, He prospers. Okay, we need to be careful with the word prosper. Name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. Is it, you know, is, is this like material prosperity? Is it like a math problem that says this? The math problem goes like this. I can avoid sin, plus I can read my Bible, 
that equals a Ferrari and a million dollars, right? Is that the prosperity that he's talking about here? No. What is biblical prosperity? What is biblical blessing? Now, sometimes it can be material, but that's not necessarily what the psalmist is talking about here. Prosperity means you're growing in Christ. It means that you're healthy spiritually. It means that you're demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit, that you're abiding in Christ, that you're growing and thriving. Colossians 1, 5-6 says this. Paul says, this is kind of his prayer at the beginning of the book. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you've heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is, and here's the key words about the gospel, it's bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Is the gospel and God's grace increasing and bearing fruit in your life? We often talk about the gospel as like, this is what I heard when I first got saved. And yes, that's what you heard when you first got saved, but you continually need to have the gospel in your heart, in your mind, in your life, so that it's bearing fruit, that it's growing. Are you thriving? Are you growing? Is the gospel bearing fruit in your life? So this imagery here is that of fruitfulness, sustenance, growth. But think about a tree planted. A tree planted. I was thinking, if you look out there at our parking lot, a few years ago, one of the trees got hit and it, it knocked out. So we had a big blank spot there where there was no tree. And then last summer, I think, Dodie, was it last summer we planted the tree? Okay, so there's a little tiny tree out there. But we've been in this building, what, like almost 13 years? Those trees have gotten big. Some of you may have large trees in your yard. Think about being planted like a tree, like a big tree. There's a wonderful passage of Scripture in Psalm 125.1 that talks about what it means to be planted. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. What's Mount Zion? It's a mountain. If you trust in the Lord, you're like planted like a mountain. You're planted like this huge tree. You cannot be moved. So it's not only just the sustenance you receive from Christ, but it's this permanence that you're planted, and, he's, and the roots go deep, and God has got you grounded in himself. Again, imagery from Colossians 2, 6-7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Being rooted in the gospel, being rooted in Jesus. You've been rooted, you've been deeply planted, you are thriving, you're like that tree that's getting its sustenance from the irrigation ditches because you're meditating and you're reflecting and you're delighting in God's word. But what's the contrast? What's that of the wicked? What's the imagery? What's the fruit of the wicked? And that's a, that's a trick question. What's the fruit of the wicked? There is no fruit. Notice what it says there in verse 4. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. It's like chaff blowing in the wind. It's driven away. There is no fruit. Isaiah 29, 5-6, But the multitude of your foreign foes shall be like small dust, and the multitude of the ruthless like passing chaff. In an instant, suddenly, 
You will be visited by the Lord of hosts with thunder and with earthquake and great noise, with whirlwind and tempest, and the flames of devouring fire. It's like chaff blowing in the wind. Barren, hollow, dead, nothing. John the Baptist speaks about this in Matthew 3, 11 through 12. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who's coming after me, speaking about Jesus, is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Here's the tragedy of the wicked person. They think their life is prosperous. They think their life is fruitful. They're fooled into thinking because they have all these things and have all these pleasures and have all these trinkets and have all these worldly goods. I'm truly prosperous. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says about Moses. Hebrews 11, 24 through 26. By faith... Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Notice how the writer calls the fleeting pleasures of sin. The fleeting, the the disappearing, the transitory. It just blows away like chaff in the wind. There is no fruit. There is nothing that lasts. There's nothing eternal. It is just like dust in the wind blowing away. So we've seen the foundation. What's the foundation of of the blessed person? The Word of God. What's the fruit of the blessed person? They're thriving. They're planted. They're solid. They're They're connected with Christ. But let's look at the last contrast. We've seen the foundation, we've seen the fruit, now let's talk about the future. Or you could say the finality. Verses 5 and 6, we see the future or the finality of the blessed versus the wicked. What does it say about the wicked? Verse 5, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. What's the future for the wicked? There's a day of judgment. They won't be acquitted. They'll perish forever. Psalm 37, 12 through 13, the wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth in him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. There is a day of judgment for the wicked. Jesus says in Matthew 13, 41 through 42, the Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Second Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. See, here's something that the Bible is very clear about. There is no middle ground. 
There is no middle ground. You're either part of the righteous or you're part of the wicked. You're either the blessed person or you're the perishing person. You're either saved or you're lost. You're either in Christ or you're still dead in your sins. There's no middle ground. The way of the wicked will perish. Have you noticed that that word way is the most repeated word in this passage of Scripture, the way, the way? It ultimately means your lifestyle, the way you live. And the word perish, when the Bible uses the word perish, it doesn't mean that you just cease to live. The word perish means to spend eternity in hell. That's what the word perish means. Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So what's the future for the blessed person? What's the, per- what's the future for the person who's the righteous? Well, you see it there in verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. You don't get this in your English translations, but that word know, yada, it means a covenant, intimate knowledge. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, Adam knew his wife. A, A covenant sexual relationship there. What this really means is that If you are planted in the streams of God's water, He knows you in a very intimate and covenant way. It's a way that refers to His covenant, tenacious, loyal love where He knows you personally, He knows you intimately, and He is in relationship with you that's everlasting. We we, we know another word in the Old Testament for this. It's that word hesed, God's steadfast love for His people. Exodus 34, 6, the Lord passed before him, that's Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So ultimately, the wicked's future is judgment. The blessed person is intimacy and joy and love with God through Jesus Christ. So the truly blessed person walks in God's ways and delights in God's word. Okay, this message that I preached would have been acceptable in a Jewish synagogue to the original hearers. But let's ask the question, how does this psalm relate to Jesus? How does Psalm 1 relate to Jesus? Because we can walk away here and think, okay, if I just follow God's word, I follow God's ways, I'm good. Jesus Christ himself is the only truly blessed man that's ever lived. He's the only one that's perfectly meditated on God's law, kept God's law perfectly. He's the truly blessed man. But here's the joy. When you are connected to Jesus by faith in him, you receive those blessings of Christ, the blessed man given to you. Jesus is not only the one who perfectly delights in God's word, Jesus is the living word of God in flesh. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You're connected to Jesus, you receive the blessing of being saved by grace alone. But notice all the judgment in this passage of Scripture. 
There's this being blown away like chaff, and there's not being able to stand in judgment, and this God, God per- causing the wicked to perish. Do you know what Jesus experienced on the cross for us? He experienced that judgment. He experienced that wrath. He experienced what we should have experienced. He experienced the wickedness of our sin. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who's hanged on the tree. You see, when Jesus hung on that cross, He was being treated as if He was the wicked man. As if He was the one deserving God's judgment. Although He was not, we were the ones that deserved it, but Jesus was dying in our place. He was dying as a substitute. He was taking our sin and our shame. And so the only way you can truly be blessed is by being in a relationship with the living God only through His Son, Jesus Christ alone. In John fourteen six, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So let's just ask the question again. Which person characterizes you? Are you the wicked person? Or are you the blessed person? Are you the wicked? Or are you the righteous? And so if you're the wicked today, and you know in your heart of hearts that you are the wicked, and you know you deserve judgment, and you know that on that final day of judgment, you may blow away like the chaff in hell, trust in Jesus. As we were singing earlier, rest in Jesus. Come to Jesus. Place your faith in Jesus. And when you do place your faith in Jesus, you will be immediately planted into these streams of salvation, these streams of grace, these streams of forgiveness. Your sins will be forgiven. You'll have a right relationship with God. You'll have eternal life in heaven, and you will escape the day of judgment, and you won't be blown away like the chaff. Do what Peter tells the people in the book of Acts to do. Acts 3, 19-20. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Repent of your sins. Come to faith in Christ and then you'll receive times of refreshing, those streams of forgiveness. You won't be barren, you won't be fruitless, you won't be sinful, you won't be like chaff, the wicked. You will be saved by grace. And if you are a believer here this morning, if if you've trusted Christ for salvation, let's listen to Jesus' words in John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Dear Christian brother and sister, Are you abiding in Christ? Are you walking in His ways? Are you delighting in His Word? And are you truly blessed simply because you're resting in Jesus Christ alone as your Savior? Firmly planted, permanently connected, To him is your vine. We're just a branch. He's the vine. Apart from him, we can do nothing. So let's praise the Lord as we start the summer, as we plant our gardens, as we think about irrigation ditches all around the area. 
let this imagery settle into our minds of what it means to be a truly blessed person because we have a relationship with a truly blessed man, Jesus. He's forgiven our sins. He's given us eternal life. I don't want you to be the wicked. I want all of us to walk away today knowing that we're truly blessed because we have Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And we're resting in Him alone. So let me ask you to bow your heads this morning and let's just go to Jesus and thank Him for being the one that gives us true spiritual blessings. Jesus, we thank You that You are our Savior and that You've given us new life and that we have new desires now because the Holy Spirit lives in us. And so, Holy Spirit, thank You that we can delight in God's Word. Give us the strength to meditate, to soak in the Scriptures, to, to be those that walk in Your ways and delight in Your Word. And Lord Jesus, thank You that You plant us deeply in Your roots, in Yourself as the vine. That apart from You, we can do nothing. We gain our sustenance, we get our security, we get our identity. Everything, every spiritual blessing comes from You, Jesus. And we're so thankful that we're connected to you. Lord, it's my prayer that there's anybody in this room that's not connected to you by faith. They know that they're a scoffer or they're sitting with the wicked and they know there's a day of judgment coming. I pray that today would be the day that they would trust in Jesus and be planted like streams of water, knowing for certain that they have eternal life. So Lord, help us to all to leave this place with joy, knowing that we're blessed, not necessarily financially and materially, but we're blessed spiritually because we have you, Jesus, as our Savior. Help us to leave this place keeping our eyes fixed on you. Help us to just be, continue to be rooted and planted in you, growing in you, walking in you, hungering and thirsting after you, delighting in your word, and help us to share that joy with a world that desperately needs the light of Christ this week. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.